This is the Careers in Review podcast. We'll show you how to navigate the job market and career space like a pro. Starting now, here is your host, Ediana Rosen. Hello, everybody, and welcome back. I am so excited because I have an amazing guest with me today. His name is Dan, and I'm literally blushing and like starstruck right now because I've been following him for forever on TikTok. Dan, I am so grateful and appreciative of you taking your time to talk to us today. Please introduce yourself and let us know where you're coming from. Great. And I'm just as excited. I've been a big fan of yours as well. You're one of my favorite uh, people on career TikTok. A quick intro about me. Um, I go by Dan from HR now, which is weird. Like that's how people know me now. Um, my full <laughs> name is Daniel Space. I've been in HR for almost 20 years, primarily within tech. Most recently with Electronic Arts, the big video game publisher. And then with Spotify, I decided to take some time off from being an HR business partner and got more into consulting, uh, stumbled into content creation and have found a very amazing side hustle. Amazing. And you know what? Everything happens for a reason because I think you were always meant to do content. Like you're a godsend, not only to like the HR world of TikTok, but to people. Like I've seen how many people's lives you have changed just by explaining things behind the scenes and what goes on behind the curtain when it comes to HR. And I've learned a ton from you on like how you explain things. And my favorite topic, and I'm sure you probably know what I'm going to mention is compensation. And we're going to get into all of that because you're my favorite person to talk about that. But so tell me, like, I know that you just told us a little bit about like how you stumble into content creation, but why would you say you decided to join TikTok? And like, why do you think you have so much passion talking about what it is you talk about there? So I'm not necessarily hugely proud of this, and I'm glad I've sort of altered it, but I developed a little bit of a reputation for debunking myths. And essentially, based on the 2020 pandemic, where everyone became unemployed and job search became the hot topic thing, everyone became a job search expert without having any experience. Yes, great. (laughs) (laughs) And while everyone can give advice, when you're on the HR side, when you're on the recruiter side, when you see a candidate who's so excited and is doing something so awful because someone said, oh, here's the number one thing you have to do or make sure you do this to make sure you get the best salary and they're screwing themselves over with that, like that upsets me. So that was one of the primary drivers for it. I downloaded TikTok to bond with my cousin and I stumbled into career TikTok and the first month was basically me duetting and stitching videos saying, this is totally wrong, don't listen to this. And I just saw that there was so much bad information and that I happen to be very privileged working for these large companies with, with how they were designed and how all of these things happen at this 10,000 foot view, how compensation works and how org design works and how recruiting and staffing works from the hiring manager side. So I just decided to start making content. And to your point, I just saw how many people were like, I had no idea that this is how it worked. So I've since tried to change my voice a little bit where I don't attack other content creators anymore. I don't even engage when people have bad advice. I'll normally just put symbols like it's cap. Or I'll just try to, I'll make a video saying, this is something that you may have heard. This is what I would do instead before you take this person's advice. Yes, I love that. But you know what? Again, everything happens for a reason because of those videos is where I found you because you were duetting somebody talking about how to negotiate your offer or something or like, no, how to answer the question to the recruiter tell me your salary expectations. And this is such a hot topic. It's like people get canceled over answering this question. So that's how I found you. And as a recruiter myself, I was like, 
wow, like who is this damn person? Because he's actually nailing it right in the head. Like this is exactly what we are looking for as recruiters. And it's so interesting that you mentioned that people just became quote unquote job gurus and job search experts with no experience. And something that when people ask me, well, I don't think that's fair that a lot of people have, you know, abilities to coach others on careers. And an analogy that I was able to find through your information. And I was like, wow, that is such a good analogy. And that is when your car is broken, right? You don't go to like, I don't know, like an actor to go and fix it. Like you go to a mechanic, right? It's the same thing. Like when it comes to careers, exactly. So I've never even actually been able to put it into words like that to make somebody understand where we're coming from. Something else that I've loved every time that you're doing some disclaimers is, listen, I love when people start off, this is based in my experience. This is what worked for me, as opposed to just using it as a blank statement to make like, oh, this is going to work for everybody. And this is what you need to do to get the job. And that is what's really misleading because even for us having experience in behind the curtain and HR and recruitment, we don't even know everything. Because for me specifically, when people are talking to me about healthcare and all this other stuff that I have no idea about, I'm like, you know what? Or hospitality, for example, like for chefs. And like, I don't get involved with any of those conversations because I have no experience in that. And I do understand that the hiring process for those two industries are extremely different than corporate and tech. So uh, thank you so much for making that distinction then and that's one of the reasons why so many people love you so (laughs) (laughs) of course so well now that we are in the topic i know that you have debunked tons of myths and i will be linking your tiktok of course on the show notes here so people can go and check that out but can you just talk to me about what is your top tip for people who are looking for jobs who have seemed to hit a wall on actually getting an opportunity to interview or to even get an offer It's a great question. I think the most important part is to diagnose where it's happening. So for example, um, there's a lot of people when I talk about that this being the hottest market ever, I'll always get a few people in my comment section saying, I don't think it's the hottest market ever. Why do I still suck? And I can understand that being very frustrating, but it, it takes a moment to kind of like diagnose. So one is, do you have a targeted search in mind? Like, are you just spraying and praying to a thousand different roles? Are you looking for corporate roles at Google on Indeed? Where are you looking? Uh, So the first thing that I do is I make sure that people understand that if you want to work in corporate America, any kind of office job, being on LinkedIn has to be your optimal strategy. Because once the world went remote, being discovered through passive search with a good profile that utilizes the right keyword and keyword strings that recruiters and hiring managers are looking for is how to get discovered. That's where all of these opportunities are coming from. It's not you applying to 50 jobs. It's 5,000 recruiters potentially looking for you. And then from there, if it's, I can't get past the first phone screen, that means you're not selling yourself to the recruiter. If it's, I'm interviewing, but I get kicked out halfway through the process, okay, so you're messing up at some point during the interview. If it's final stage, okay, that's great progress. It sucks, but it's great progress. You are, you are hitting it really, really close to the head. It just means you have to go through a few more things, hone on the interview skills. But like it, it, to me, it's just about diagnosing where you're finding the problem. I think overall, the biggest issue is people don't know what it is that they're looking I love that. And I totally agree, which takes me into my next point, because I think that a lot of people have different opinions on this. And that is the tailoring of the resume. Like, should people spend hours and hours just tailoring their resumes if they're looking for a job within their field, within their background? Like, what's your opinion on that? Because I've also heard quote unquote gurus, like you need to make sure you tailor all of your resume for every single application. So I want to hear from you on that. (laughs) 
So I really want to take whatever online course all of these job search bozos took, because they all say the exact same thing. They all utilize the same product hooks, and they all spread the same mythologies at almost the same exact time. And I'm like, where did what online course did all of you buy this from? Because you're all repeating <laughs> the same things in the same way. So I am a big proponent of minimizing all of the administrative elements to job search, especially because of how powerful the candidate market is right now. Companies are bending over backwards to try and find candidates. They don't care about cover letters anymore. No one is judging you on thank you notes. They're looking at profiles for people that they would never have looked at before. So this is the greatest time to take advantage of that opportunity. My thought on resumes is at my most resumes that I had, it was three. And it was three different specialties. And it was when I was converting between HR management and an HR business partner. So one of the resumes focused far more on employee relations, one focused on business strategy, and one focused on building like analytics and data functions. Other than that, I've only had one. I only recommend people have other resumes if they have different job families. So the best example I can think of is that I helped someone a year ago who worked primarily in small real estate offices, and she had a dual job of being an executive assistant and a project manager. So when she's wanted to start applying to larger jobs, those are two very distinct roles with two very distinct job families. And if you submit a resume with like executive project associate, that's not going to be something that resonates with recruiters. So I recommended, okay, build one project manager resume and build one executive assistant resume. I love that. Super simplified. So for the listeners, please understand that there's no need to spend, I've heard people close to 15 hours writing resumes and tailoring it and tweaking it and going back and forth. And honestly, there's no need to do that, especially if you're not switching careers, if you're not switching industries where you really have to strip everything down and understand where you're going to be translating that experience. But if it's something like what Dan just explained, please save your time and money and just try to make sure that you are speaking to the job that's posted as opposed to just creating everything and anything that you've ever done in your life, even going back to internships when you're in high school. Like, just just remember that. And then the hot topic of the day, Dan. I love hearing you talk about this because I can hear the passion and obviously something that you understand very well, even way better than recruiters because you worked with job families, with job functions and all of that, and that is compensation. So can you talk to us about what is the best way to negotiate compensation when it comes to any stage of the life cycle of an employee? That could be the job search stage, when they are going for a promotion, or when they're going through their perf cycle. Like, What's the best way to get more money in your pocket? Oh boy, I love talking about this. And it's because there is so much good money that can be earned in corporate America. And I think a lot of people really misunderstand this. Um, People think that you have to be a celebrity, that you have to own your own business, that you have to be a CEO. There are engineers, marketers, HR people, project people that are are, are close to earning a million a year at this point based on defining essentially what I like to call the golden circle of all of the elements of compensation. Problem is we don't teach any of this. We in HR uh, on the business partner side are super privileged because we have the market data so we get to see how it works and then we get to implement it. So to me, I always call it the five different things. One is level. The higher the level you are, the more that you make. Two is location, although that's now being a little bit thrown up in the wind because now we've kind of turned remote. But generally speaking, when you're in a larger city, the compensation is higher. Three is company size. Usually the bigger the company size, the more that they'll pay. Uh, Fourth is the industry. Um, So industries that generate a lot of profit, especially the global leaders, anything that's like on the S&P 500, anything that has brand familiarity, 
typically has a much higher pool to pay in additional resources. So it's not just base salary. It's typically adding things like bonus and stuff. Fifth is the most vague, and nobody knows or really kind of understands this, which is industry to job family alignment, which is where you want to work in an industry that places a very high value on that job family. So the perfect example, software engineers and tech fit all five. That is an extraordinarily valuable job family for that industry. But if you were to talk about marketers in tech, they don't generally make as much. But you switch when you talk about pharmaceutical. Pharmacom, like marketing and pharma pays really, really well. Tech, not so much. No one is going after Pfizer for their tech stack. Like, but how you market to consumers is very important and valuable. Yes, absolutely. I totally agree with all of that. And it's interesting because you and I were just chatting be- before we we went on live about the software engineering, because that's what I recruit for. And it's such a different ball game. And yes, I agree. The, the higher you go on the level, the more you know demanding they can get. And because they understand the value that is placed on them specifically in this industry. So I want to backpedal a little bit when it comes to the question that I mentioned in the beginning of the conversation. And of course, I'm biased because I'm a recruiter myself, right? And, and so I have my preferences. But for you who understands the HR management side, you have the HR perspective. And I know that you've worked with tons of recruiters and you've interviewed people yourself. So what is your opinion or your, I guess, your formula to answering the question, what are your salary expectations in order for the candidate to, because this is the word they use, I don't want to get lowballed. Like, what is the best way to go around that in a way that's not going to take you off the race and it's not going to raise red flags for the recruiter? Yeah. And this is, again, something that I'm so passionate about because we don't teach this. And what I thought was great was that when I started making compensation negotiation videos, people would always be like, hey, that's interesting, but you should read this book called like Never Split the Difference or this famous book from this FBI negotiator. And I'm like, that's awesome, but that gentleman has never approved offers. Like I have, I've approved probably at this point close to 12,000 offers in my 20 years of experience. Um, I've had to approve every offer within my business unit as well as review every exception. So the one thing that I want to really dispel is that larger companies, especially, you are not going to get lowball because they have a duty to their internal compensation philosophy. Everyone has to be paid according to a range. And good HR business partners fervently obsess over this to make sure everyone is treated fair. The biggest thing that I, that I will always advise is to not turn the conversation adversarial. So a lot of, again, these job search and negotiation experts are like, don't answer the question, make the recruiter tell you. And I don't think that there's any value in just coming off as a jerk to the recruiter or to the hiring manager. And instead, what I like to do is to be very open, but ask a lot of questions. So one of the things that I do is like I'll I'll test interviews. Um, I test interview theories. I get hit up relatively frequently, and I kind of like to keep on my game. I like to find out about opportunities. And it is very common for me. So Coinbase, for example, reached out to me somewhat recently And they asked what my salary expectations were. And I was like, I honestly can't tell you where I would fall because I know Coinbase has a no negotiation policy. I don't know what your salary mix or your compensation mix is between salary, bonus, and equity. I would say I'm looking between 275 to 350 annual, but what does that look like for you? And by instead, just by giving a broad range and just by asking a lot of follow-up questions, it was a much smoother conversation. And I really just want to remove the fear that recruiters are somehow paid to keep like to try to get you in as low as possible. There's no motivation at any level to try to get you as low as possible in most large organizations. Agreed. Thank you, Dan, for making that point. Please listen to that. Rewind and go back and take notes. I love that. 
And the reason why I love that is because it is a battle that I have to fight. I think we recruiters absolutely need to do a better job at educating people about what it is that we do and how do we fall into the relationship between a candidate, a hiring manager, and the company itself, right? So I've always made this distinction all across my social medias between an agency recruiter and an in-house recruiter. I'm an in-house corporate recruiter, which means that I get paid and I work for the company that you want to work for, right? Directly with them. I have no incentives in any way to get people for any lower than they deserve and what's within that band and benchmark we have, also taking into consideration internal equity, right? For the people that already work there that are at the same level, same type of expertise. People don't seem to believe me. (laughs) So I am so happy that you're mentioning that somebody as an expert because I don't get a pat in the back. I don't get any type of kudos. I don't get any type of recognition. It's like, oh, Mariana, thank you so much. You got this person for $20,000 less than we wanted to pay. Like, that's not how it works. In reality, I, as a recruiter, especially recruiting the type of people I recruit for, it is in my best interest to try to get you as much money as I can because I want you to be happy. You know how long it took me to find you, to engage you, to get you through the process, to really have the relationship with the hiring manager so that they can be okay with you going through the process and them wanting you to join their team. Like, I don't want to lowball you at the end and then potentially risk losing you or you come into the into the company and then you find out through hallway conversation that you're getting paid less than someone else. And then that's a whole issue. Like people who are listening to this and that don't believe this theory, it's not a theory, it's the actual factual situation. Think about it logically. Like how does that make any sense for me to, when I'm trying to build a trusting relationship with you as a candidate, to try to betray you that way. Now, when it comes to the agency side, I can't speak too much of that because I've never worked in an agency before. So that's a little different. In the relationship they have with the candidate, it's different than the relationship I have with you as a candidate. So thank you, Dan, so, so much for, <laughs> for, the, for that tip. I also, I get a lot of questions about, hey, how did you get started in recruiting? Like, I want to get into HR. Like, what are some of your tips when it comes to that? Because for me, I've bounced between HR management and recruitment. So I've done both. But I had a lot of privilege where I landed my very first job out of college in recruitment. So I, I don't feel, you know, as I guess, prepared to answer the question of like, oh, this is what you need to do if you're coming from another industry or another background. Like, what are some things that you would like to see from somebody on a resume or in their interview that they wanted to transition into HR or recruitment? It's such a great question. And it's one of the more frequent ones I get. Before I get there, though, I do want to call out one thing that you said in that last piece that I think is so important. There is so much joy that recruiters and HR business partners have when we're able to give a candidate more than they wanted. And it's why I think it even hurts a little bit when people are like, well, we're, they're just going to try to low. And like, no, we want to give the opposite. We would love to be like, well, I wanted 85. Oh, well, here's 115. Uh, like, it's not our money. We're bad with money. Like, if not, that's why we would <laughs> finance. Like, we want to give you all the money. Yeah. Um, so, and so I think that's really just an important thing to call out. And of course, there's always going to be exceptions. I find like smaller companies, nonprofits, startups are chaos models. But usually large companies have a really good invested strategy to make sure that people are well paid. Agreed. Absolutely. I'm nodding my head around here, (laughs) just (laughs) nailing it every time. I knew you were the right person to bring onto this podcast for sure. Awesome. Well, thank you. So now onto your question about HR. 
To me, HR is just one of the the strangest fields to get into. A lot of colleges hopped on the HR train and then taught academic HR theory without actually preparing anyone for what real HR life is like. Yes. Um, So what I find is the most helpful thing to do is you have to familiarize yourself with the HR disciplines. HR, I think, is the most forgiving if you don't have the specific experience as long as you can competently describe and understand what it is that you'll do. So one of the things that I always tell people who want to get into HR, like the first thing I'll ask is like, what do you think HR is? And people think employee relations, firing people and recruiting. And it's like, okay, that's like the marketing of what we do. Like that's what people are familiar with, but that's such a small subset. You know, there's training and development, there's recruiting, there's benefits, there's compensation, there's HRIS, there's analytics, there's all of these elements because all HR refers to is how a company manages its people-related strategies. So I find find recruiting is one of the easiest ones to get into, provided that you're familiar and can understand the concepts of it, of understanding what a company needs and then how to find those things. But to me, one of the most easier ways to get into HR is to go through benefits, which is the least sexiest version of HR. No one is like, oh my God, I can't wait to do benefit management. But all companies need it. It's very, it's like like very dependable work. All companies have to have it. It tends to be very black and white. There's a little bit of numbers focus to it. There's a lot of value to benefit administration and understanding the legalities to it. And all companies need these people. So there's almost always great hiring if you can present that you understand the benefits of basic administration. Yes, agreed. And absolutely, you know, it's interesting because I worked at a startup once where they didn't have an internal person to do benefits. So when I was hired, obviously all of that fell under me. And I realized that they were using an outside vendor to like, they call it broker, I think, right? Yeah, a broker. And I was taking a look at the statements and it was an absurd amount of money they were charging this startup to do benefits. And I was like, you can just hire an internal person and you could be saving close to like, $30,000 a year just by these fees alone. So it is absolutely such a needed function in especially, you know, newer companies that are just getting that threshold of having to offer benefits in the United States specifically. So I totally agree. Yeah, it is one of the unsexiest pieces because it tends to be like a little bit on the back end, like not a lot of visibility. But I think it's such a great way to get started because you get to understand the foundation and it's very cross-functional. Like you get to work with payroll, you get to work with the actual HRVPs to like the, the next year comes out, like open enrollment, like what are the best things that we can offer our employees, strategies, all of that. I definitely think it's a great way to get started. I want to do like a rapid fire uh, type of <laughs> sign off for for the podcast. Yeah. Your biggest pet peeve? Absolutes. Ooh, I love that. The one question you must ask, the three things you have to do, always do this. Companies always want this. HR is always not on your side. Recruiters, oh, like absolutes. I can't, like everything is, it depends. <laughs> <laughs> yes, love it. What's something that makes you happy? Seeing people understand that they can actually have really good career fulfillment. Your favorite part of HR? Organization design. I love that. Your best tip on creating relationships with the hiring managers? Understanding and really effective listening. Awesome. I love it. Ooh, you're really good at rapid fire. Yay. <laughs> well, <thank you>. <laughs> <laughs> and then I always love to close out all of my, my amazing guests with this one last question. And that is, if you could talk to baby Dan, what would you say and why? Aw. I would... I would tell him that it is very possible to find a career that you love. I struggled with this for a while, and I think a lot of people do. So one of the best examples that I use is 
Working as an HRBP for Electronic Arts was like a dream come true. Working in video games as a video gamer, working for a company that I loved, doing a field that I really liked and a job that I was good at, I felt like I never worked. I was in meetings with marketing leads talking about the Dragon's Age 2 marketing strategy, talking about how much players love The Sims. And I'm like, I'm getting paid for this. Like, this is... And when I find so many people who think that they, like the one, the first company they ever worked for was an insurance firm. I don't know of anyone that loves insurance, but because that's all they know, that's the only industry that they know, that's where they can easily get jobs. So it's almost just like it's their nine to five mentality. When if you really take a moment and figure out the things that you really love and the companies that you really like, it's very easy to work for a company that the work may be hard and but like you actually can find some really great career fulfillment and i would love to go back and tell myself that earlier oh i love that you know what then i think that point is going to resonate with so many of us because i think that's what the education system here in the united states lacks a lot it's really not preparing us for the real world when it comes to working in, a, in an office in corporate america and and i love that you mentioned in the beginning about hr specifically i i actually did a, a master's degree with concentration in HR. And since I've been in HR, it's like nothing to do with the real, <laughs> with the real day to day. So I totally agree. Like a lot of us feel like we're, we're stuck, right? Like, oh, this is just, I need to pay my bills and like, I can't get any other job because this is just what my experience is. And it's sad because we just go through this life cycle of, you know, 40, 50 years working in the workforce and then not being happy. So I totally appreciate you mentioning that because I feel like it's taken for granted. And some people don't realize that they're not happy until they find that thing that they're really passionate about. I can just imagine little baby Dan just listening to that advice. I love it. Dan, thank you so, so much. I appreciate you more than you can imagine and more than I can express. I'm sure all the listeners are going to go bananas with all the amazing nuggets that you were able to spread here today. Before we go, please let us know where we can find you, how can we work with you, and how can we say hello? Great. Um, So TikTok is the easiest way. Um, I am starting to build my other social media platforms, so I make it very obvious and very easy to connect with me on LinkedIn because I will always post like open roles. I post nuggets of truth, and I'm known to be very, very funny, and I call out all the, the bullshit LinkedIn influencers and their silly, <laughs> silly posts. Um, I am in the middle of building a website. Uh, it should be launched by late April to early May, and that's going to be DanFromHR.com. Awesome. Yay. Well, you heard it from here. Please make sure to connect with Dan, reach out, comment on his videos. And he it is true. He is very funny. Every time I'm listening to his videos, my husband is looking at me like, what are you doing? I was like, I'm watching Dan. It's like so funny. I'm just laughing out loud. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Dan, so, so much. Um, thank you. Anything to close us out, like the last piece of nugget advice that you can give us? The one thing I would say, and this ties back into what we were talking about before, about what I like to, to lovingly call the job search bozos or the job search gurus. Um, one of the things that I think I found really upsetting is the number of times where I've given advice. And I even made a video about it today when a recruiter or someone in HR gives advice saying, this is what you should do. And the response is, well, HR is not your friend. They're only on the side of the company. Or why would I trust your advice for compensation? And I would almost understand that if I worked in HR at your company. So like if you work at MetLife and you're like, how do I get a raise? And then I make a video saying, this is how you should get a raise. But I'm your HR person at MetLife. I could almost understand a little bit of your, of your worry because it's like, well, what are your motivations exactly? But I am not a central HR person. I don't work at HR for all companies. Like understanding that there's some reputation, HR has to do a far better job of marketing itself. There's been a lot of bad HR people that have set that negative precedent. 
But HR people and recruiters and hiring managers are the people that do this daily. We get systemic best practice feedback cycles on what works and what doesn't work. We are absolutely the three best people and the cohorts to listen to as it relates to what works. Anything else what you're getting is what I call personal point of view advice. So if you've never been a hiring manager, a recruiter, or an HR business partner, and you're making a video saying, here's the four interview questions you have to ask, because anytime I ask them, I got a job, because you weren't a decision maker, it's not real data. And that's just the one thing. And I think people can give amazing advice. Here's something that worked for me, and it can be validated by hiring managers. Say, hey, yeah, yeah, I think that's a great idea. But the moment that you say you should do this, but you've never worked in the decision maker capacity, that's where I just find it to be a little bit biased. Love that. Thank you so much then for closing us out with that. I think everybody should go back, take notes, rewind, and just save this episode, download it so that you can listen anytime that you're ready to go search for a job, negotiate your salary, or talk to an HR representative. Thank you then so much. I hope you have a wonderful time and I appreciate your time and your nuggets of advice. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. From effective networking to landing job offers, This is the podcast for action takers ready to be the best they can be without any fear. This is the Careers in Review podcast. Make sure to never miss an episode of Careers in Review. Subscribe to our podcast newsletter. You will receive exclusive information about upcoming shows, transcripts, and information about our guests. For all resources mentioned, show notes, transcriptions, and more details regarding topics discussed in today's show, please visit the Careers in Review website www.careersinreview.com slash podcast. You can also follow Careers in Review on all socials for more exclusive video content. Thank you for listening.